Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 113 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Mike from Yob discusses his first band, and I recommend the Italian alternative metal band Break Me Down. But before all that, Ian Forsyth from Cyborg Octopus joins the program. Now, I go way, way back with Cyborg Octopus and the show. On episode one, they were featured as the recommendation. David Wu, former member, was then on as a guest and a first band himself. And now I have vocalist Ian Forsyth to discuss the band's new album, Between the Light and Air, which is out, if you're listening, the week of the release, this Friday, August 26th, via Silent Pendulum Records. He came on to discuss a new record, how the band changed in the wake of David's departure, their onstage attire, wild blue sky show ideas and more now before we dive into my chat with ian here are some of seizure of character from between the light and air by cyborg octopus Uh, you have a birthday this week, correct? Uh, it is in two days. Have you anything fun planned? Uh, I'm going to get Asian food. Uh, I normally go every year to P.F. Chang's and get P.F. Chang's, but P.F. Chang's is about an hour away from me, so I'm going to just the nicest Asian restaurant in my, in my town. Are, are you a big P.F. Chang's guy? Because why P.F. Chang's? You know, I just, I really like the Mongolian beef. It's simple, and I really enjoy it. Is it overpriced? Yes. But it's the best possible version of Panda Express. And <laughs> I really enjoy Panda Express. So um, it's just kind of been a thing for years. I'm not super big on my birthday, but I do like eating and being with my friends. So it's kind of an easy uh, two birds, one stone sort of thing. So I only really do it on special occasions. And your choice is P.F. Chang's for the ambiance? Because I don't think they're really known for you know the highest quality chinese or pan-asian food are they no it's mongolian beef it's like it's this really good it's got like a soy glaze on it and it's kind of crispy and kind of kind of steaky at the same time and it's just a texture i don't get very many places and i'm big on uh i'm big on the chew daniel and i, I love that chew so you're strictly a man who likes to have his meat gnashed amongst his tongue and teeth then. i like it tenderized yeah absolutely fair enough we'll enjoy your birthday once you're there Thank you. So I've been to P.F. Chang's exactly one time, and the time I went, we were seated under a giant horse that I felt like just gazed down upon me and judged me for being a vegetarian. <laughs> there is quite a few horse statues. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I uh, that's my probably my favorite part, man, is getting looked down upon by the statues. It it gives me that's the ambiance I was looking for. Well, what if maybe they put like a tiny party hat on one of the horses uh, for your special day, and then brought out. I don't know what their dessert is, a, a brownie a la mode or something? That'd be that'd be beautiful. Actually, it's a banana in an egg roll. It's like a sweet banana crispy pastry in an egg roll. Is that real? Yes. Okay, so you're not big on your birthday. So do you play it down or do you roll in a P.F. Chang and you're like, where's my banana? Oh, I play it down. But my whole world, everybody in my life knows uh, that they that I that I want it to be played down. So they'll play it up. It's it becomes everybody else's birthday when I'm not willing and able to accept 
the the showmanship. They they accept it for me. I understand that. Um, I'm not big on my birthday, but my wife loves her birthday and loves my birthday. So whether I like it or not, I get a birthday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel about it. Okay, so pivoting to band stuff, because I guess that's why we're here. Yep. Um, so it's been a minute since Cyborg Octopus put out a new record. And Between the Light and Error is coming out next Friday as of this recording. Yep. Via Silent Pendulum Records, which, how did you guys wind up with the record label, and how has it changed for the band? Because I know last time was very DIY, to the point where I was working with you guys directly for the site that I work for. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute, and we would not be where we, where we are without you, Daniel, so thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I was not fishing, but you are welcome. Um, so, we, this time, we had the whole album done. We did not reach out to anybody until the album was done. Last time, we kind of, every time we had updates, we were reaching out to labels, seeing if anyone was interested. And I really think we should have just waited till we had all our chips in a row and, and, and then, you know, put them all in. And so that's what we did this time. Um, and our friend, Tony Thomas, um, he like writes in a lot of black metal acts, um, like botanist and Calix calling. He, uh, he was telling us, uh, about silent pendulum and we had already toured in new steak sauce mustache pretty well um and so i reached out to taylor from steak sauce mustache asking about the label how he felt about it um and he was like yeah man it's great and not only do i am is my band a part of the label uh also i do the graphic design for the label so it was really cool um you know that it was kind of a small world and a lot of people we already knew were involved with the label um and it you know, it just kind of happened naturally. Um, and so the, the really the process has been waiting for vinyls. Um, you know, the album's been ready. It's been ready for close to a year, um, if not more. And so it's just making sure all the physical stuff lined up with the digital plans we had. And I sort of, like, I sort of feel like there's this error forgiveness around vinyl delays because everybody except for Jack White is currently way behind schedule. Um, was there ever discussion about putting out digital and maybe CDs before the vinyl drop or is the goal to have everything drop at the same time? Uh, the goal is have everything drop at once. Um, you know, we're real, you know, we've spent this long waiting, so we figured we might as well just wait until it's all done right. You know? Um, and so we had a vision years ago of how this release was going to go. And so we've really just stuck to that. Um, when it came to the vinyls, that was, that was extra. So we wanted to, you know, get the CD and have the, the pre-orders and, and do it, uh, a little more official this time. Um, and so that's really what the, what the delay was. But then again, last year just did not seem like a good time for us to release music. And I don't think we were ready yet. So, um, right now we're, we're in tip top shape. We're ready to play shows. We're ready to get out there. Um, and so it just, everything's lining up right now at the best time. I read that some of these songs have been in the works for a really long time. Like Seizure of Character was supposed to be on the first album. How has that song changed over the years in a way that you can verbalize? So that piano intro is one of the only things left over from the original version of it. So it originally, and I'll, I'll do this the best I can, because there were so many different versions of the song. But my favorite version that was technically for the last album um was piano intro to a genty riff with a different piano lick over it. So it was going to be like a gent intro. And then it was going to go to like this, this blast beat black metal section that was going to be a lot of layers of keys and guitar. 
So it was just a lot more chaotic. Um, and it was cool, but we thought it was maybe pulling some of the same moves that some of our older songs have pulled. So, and we don't like to have anything that sounds too similar realistically. So we just kept on working on it. Um, and then, you know, the riffs sort of evolved from there. And then we sort of took that, that genty, genty rhythm breakdown that we had in it and repurposed it towards the end of the song. So that piano outro with the breakdown at the end is sort of a different, a different version of a previous breakdown that was earlier in the song. So we, you know, it's shifting around parts, but also, you know, sometimes just taking out a whole piece and replacing it with something else can change the flow of a whole song. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of testing. And for the song being left over, at least parts of it from the first record, are those the contributions of David? Because I notice he has writing credit on the band camp, at least. And David's the one who first reached out to me and how I first formed my relationship with Cyborg Octopus. Yeah, yeah. And that's and so pretty much when David left the band, which is close to four years ago now, it's been it's been a long time. We didn't really want to make announcement of it because you know he has he has his uh riff shop stuff going on and we have cyborg and we didn't really want um anything to interfere with either of them there's no drama and he's still a, a part of the family as, as far as we're concerned so um you know he left but we had about three songs that were like sort of half done from him and so those three songs that were sort of half done got evolved to the point that they're on the album now. And so that's why he has writing credits because, you know, there were songs that when he left, he said, you can take these and, and repurpose the pieces, whatever you want. So we did take some of the, you know, the parts that we really enjoyed or added on to them um, to make the songs that are on the record. That's really cool of him. Cause I, I feel like I'm really precious about my pieces that I write and whether or not I have a split with somebody, if it's cool or not, I would probably want to hold on to the stuff I write, you know, just in case. So that's, that's really cool of him to let you have those, those bits or those pieces of the original stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really cool. And, you know, we had a band like hangout where we really all talked about it and the songs in his mind were for cyborg octopus. So in, in a lot of ways it was, you know, he could have used them for riff shop, but I think they were, they were a little too tech for anything riff shop would have, would have realistically done. So, um, you know, he wrote them with a purpose in mind and it was really cool that he, he let us take, take what he had started. And, and, you know, the, I I've mentioned before that the album really is the same team that wrote the first album, wrote this one. Um, you know, it's just, we've grown up a bit and, you know, the, the roles have shifted quite a bit as well. And something Tom, I always notice about bands that have multiple releases out and and it's, it's nothing really, and I know that, but uh, is like the number of songs on a record. The first record had seven songs. This one also has seven songs. Is there significant to the number of songs or the number seven for the band? No, it just worked out perfectly like that. Um, we, we wrote them and we had one intro song. That, so we were trying to get one intro song and we were trying to re-record one of the first songs uh, we ever recorded. So we were trying to add those, but it just didn't pan out with... Um, with timing and, and kind of how we wanted the album to turn out. So yeah, this album is seven songs as well, and it's within a minute of playtime of the last album. So they're almost the exact same length as well. Really seems like you planned it. And you know, it, it really, uh, it, it was luck. It was pure luck. And we just, um, you know, when, when we were finished, it, it just, we don't know what we have until it's all done, right? So when we actually looked at it, we were like, oh crap, we made, we made a very similar thing here, but uh, we're super proud of it. And this album has the most clean singing I've heard from you guys. I mean, the last album had a 
maybe just the end of epiphany. That's all that comes to mind immediately. So how was finding your voice uh, on this album where you weren't just screaming? It was it was fun. Um, you know, we did have parts um, at Divine Right has some singing and Epiphany does. And then there's some background singing in Data Minefield, but we didn't want to push it to the front. So there's there's little things here and there. Um, but when it came to these songs, I would listen to them for years before we actually turned them into songs. Right. And there was parts that I just couldn't hear anything but singing on. I was like, this needs this kind of part. And so when it comes to cyborg, I think all of us have really taken the use whatever we think is best, regardless of how crazy it seems. Um, and so with all the weird stuff we do, you know, singing on a couple songs really did seem like, uh, like the least crazy thing we could do. Um, so to, to get some more of that genre bending and to get some more emotion and then also kind of bring up some of those, those guitar riffs or bring up those, those pieces that I really love from the other instruments. Um, I really just try to, um, you know, conduct the band, you know, to take all this different kinds of music we make. I'm really kind of the glue, the connecting factor that brings it all together at some point. So, uh, I really thought about what what my voice is and how I wanted to sound. Um, and singing wise, I just gave it my all and, and thought about what, what would sound the best. And obviously the band had a lot of help with me as well. So they were in the studio giving me direction. And outside of cyborg, have you done, had you done any other clean singing stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I've done some guest, some guest vocals on, um, some friends band stuff that's yet to be released. Um, I sang in uh, choir in school, and I did a decent amount of church singing growing up as well. So, um, yeah, my family's a singing family. I have I have a singing background. So um, it was, you know, something that I wanted to have fun with. And, uh, yeah, it was a great time. So is it weirder then for you in the early days of the band to be solely focused on screaming then? No, no, because I think the band has just evolved over time. I think the songs on the last album were way more tech and way less conducive to singing i think these songs in general were more more apt for singing parts while still being heavy um and i think the last album i was way more focused on not stepping on anybody's toes sonically i was way more like trying to scream but also keep the rhythm and kind of stay out of the way if that makes sense because you know there was so much going on and so this album, there was parts that they wrote specifically for me to do singing stuff or like, you know, that little that little break in seizure of character. You know, there's little parts that we kind of had that in mind. So it made it easier for me to fit it in. And then the uh, Spectres um, was just from day one. That's how I heard it. And so that was really fun. And getting the whole band to do gang vocals, the gang singing together, that was something I also thought about a lot writing the vocal parts for the album was how are we going to do this live and is it going to connect live and i thought gang singing was a great way to get the crowd involved and also you know have fun as a band i'm a sucker for a good gang singing like i'm not really big on punk or hardcore but when it hits in like a straight up metal song so good yeah yeah so i i think texture i'm really focused on texture and i thought there's a lot of different things i can do with my voice 
Um, and they all kind of add different parts for depending on what else is going on in the music. So, you know, we all think about it a lot. Uh, may I ask you about a song that has not come out yet? Absolutely. I'm really glad that you've listened to it to uh, to give me some some questions. Okay, so like not to dumb down some of your songs to one phrase or one word, but some of the songs I could see being uh, written down as the blank song. So like on the last record, Disco Brain could have been the funk song or the disco song. On this one, Seizure of Character could be the classical song. Um, were there other songs on this record that started out as uh the blank idea and how did they transform like i can imagine trash island was the surf song yes yeah um and so trash island's code name when it was being written was surfboard spin kick oh dude i love code names for something <laughs> so surfboard spin kick was trash island um and that was old school rock and roll and surf. So obviously like some beach boys and some stuff like that. But I was also really influenced by like little Richard, like Lucy, you know, like that really, that really like whaley sort of singing. Um, so the, the beginning of the song is really influenced by that. Um, and then when we look to the, er, the beginning of the album, old stories was originally is uh codename bottomy. So it was originally thought of as like a power metal children of Bodom song and sodomy. So we combined them into bottomy. So that was that was that one. Um, and then um, we thought about uh, one I haven't talked a lot about. Hindsight is kind of an odd an odd one on the album um, that doesn't have any video content or anything planned. But that one we sort of looked at is like like an eighty an eighties ballad mixed with tech death. So we kind of thought of like um depeche mode and like even like you know the running up the hill song that everyone's stoked on right now we were kind of thinking about that sort of vibe before before this this newest season of stranger things came out that song's been in the works for like four years so um you know that one also had had thought into where the where the ideas start and then the song sort of just evolves until we're happy with it um, but you know sometimes when you wait six years to write an album some things that you're you're thinking of have already have already had some uh had some exposure so uh we're happy to uh to finally put out what we're doing i love how you described uh kate bush's influence on this album because over the weekend was uh outside lands in san francisco and um the third day of it i actually had to skip because uh, i tested positive for covid and uh that sucked oh wow i'm sorry i mean it's ultimately okay i had two full days that were fine the first day was totally fine the second day started to kick my ass because about halfway through i started getting symptoms so uh the third day i went up streaming what i could and one of the acts on the third day kim petrus did a cover of Running Up That Hill, but she prefaced it by saying, I've had this idea for five months, it's been recorded, I've had it done for a really long time, and then Stranger Things came around, and I was just like, look, it's a, just, you know, embrace your love of the song. It's a fantastic song. Yeah, yeah, and at that point, you just got to be really confident in whatever you're doing, but but yeah, um, it's it's a cool vibe, and uh, Bobby, the guitarist, he he loves 80s synthwave, uh, and he loves old, old, uh, just 80s music i'm not as big on 80s music but i have particular tastes on it um but recently um he's been playing the top gun theme in the middle of one of our songs instead of playing the riff he's supposed to play so he's really got that that vibe about him so he he drove that song forward a lot i used to share like that with my old band uh it was called the men upstairs um with my current guitarist ryan he was in that band as well but we would always play this song and I could not remember for the life of me what I played on the recording. So instead I fit in this Lil John melody, um, which just went dot 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 and it's like a super obvious melody, but like 
Yeah, I only knew it from that song. And I would always play it every show we played, and it would always make me laugh, but probably nobody else. <laughs> yeah, so this uh, this most recent set of uh, set of shows, when he was playing it, I just had the whole crowd flip him off. So he knows <laughs> he knows how we feel about it, but I don't think it's going to get him to stop doing it. Okay, so moving away from my stuff and focusing back on your stuff for some reason. <laughs> so I'm very curious about the uh, lyrical inspiration behind the track, The Projector. Uh, there's a cycle of words over a really cool genty part in the latter half of the song, and it goes project, abuse, deny, uh, something I didn't catch, uh, reject, accuse, lie, and a second thing I didn't ca- catch. Um, what is the lyrical expiration, I guess, for this song as a whole and this cycle of lyrics? So this song is sort of playing on something we talk about a lot on the first album, which is cycles. Um, and so the album in general is about r- relationships between people wh- and also relationships bet- like with yourself. So there's a lot of different ways, I guess you can interpret a lot of the songs, but the projector was uh, uh, mainly written by Patrick. Those lyrics were mainly written by Patrick. Um, and so I don't want to speak too much to it because, you know, I have my own interpretations of I've added my parts to it, but in general, it's it's about people that are insecure, and instead of just owning up to what they're insecure about or what their problems are, they try to convince you that you have those same problems. And so it's literally a pro- proje- projecting their their beliefs or their worldview and their perspective. Perspective, I think, is a huge a huge theme on the album as well. Um, so when it came to that, it was both how we are affected by this or how we are affected by these negative influences um and then how we choose to move forward through them to either you know accept or recognize that maybe i am at fault here or you know move forward from whatever situation that may be so again purposely very open to interpretation um but it's it's about breaking the cycle and starting again That was a bit of Spectres by the band Cyborg Octopus from their album, Between the Light and Air. I'll have more with Ian in just a moment. But first, a short break. Movies and feelings. Pop, pop. Bring Your Own Popcorn is a podcast that dives into people and the movies who love them. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, inviting you to join me and an assortment of wonderful guests on fine podcast apps everywhere. Bring your own popcorn. Now it is time for my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, Mike from Yob discusses his heavy origins. Well, my first band of, of any kind of consequence was called Chemical, and that was like 1989 or 90, and it went to 92, and it was this mix, a very strange mix of like, you know, we loved Poison Idea, 
and we love Neurosis Pain of Mind, and we love Metallica, right? Uh, um, Master of Puppets, and so it was this kind of weird crossover that was somewhat, you know, punk influenced, but back then, you know, James Hetfield off Master of Puppets, and there was nothing that followed after it yet. So that was just like that was the greatest metal record in the world, probably. Um, I mean, there was a lot of things going on, but in 1986, I mean, that record was certainly at least in the top five and they were the toughest, coolest band. And so it's a weird mix of like, I mean, I think later on we went more and more towards punk and then got more and more influences in there. Like, you know, Ratos de Parayo from Brazil and, and all of my early punk, records started coming more and more into the music but then also a lot of death metal and we we started morphing and changing we were kind of a strange crossover band that had a couple of good moments and a lot of very awkward but very sincere moments <laughs> Just did a quick glance and looks like Yob doesn't really have much going on at the moment, but you could head to yobislove.com. There you can pick up merch and music from their websites. And you can follow Mike over on Instagram at Mike S-S-C-H-E-I-D-T. Now, before we wrap up with my chat with Ian from Cyborg Octopus, here's a little bit of Trash Island, the latest single from the album Between the Light and Air. <laughs> Dovin too deep on uh, some of the other lyrics in the album, but are, are you a band that writes a concept for album or is it loose themes or is it uh, fuck it? And let's just see what keeps coming up. Yeah. So I would say we're, we're a con both of our albums are concept albums, but not in like a, a, like a linear story sort of way. I think it's about exploring the same ideas. So I think the last album you know, learning to breathe was literally a lot of the songs were me writing about how to even see the world around me. Um, and so how to even perceive it all um, was, was the last album. And so I think this album between the light and air is more about deciding your perspective um, and also believing and moving forward in, in spite or despite um, the situations that are presented to you. Um, and so I think it's at, at low key, really motivational for me. Um, but it's also literally how I get through my life. And I know me and Patty have had a lot of talks about this as well. So it's, it's like, 
it's philosophy that's near and dear to our hearts that we inject into storytelling instead of necessarily lyric writing. Sure. So it sounds like you're putting a filter on it. That way it's not too revealing. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the fun of it, right? It's theater, but it can also be really close to the heart. Oh, were you a theater kid at all? Because you mentioned singing in choirs and did that translate at all to uh, performing on a stage in a band and stuff? No, no, I did not. I did not do anything like that. Um, I sang in a in a makeshift punk garage band for a while in in high school. And then I played trombone in a garage ska band for a while. So that was my my band experience before before uh, before now. Uh, one of the things that came up in the press release around this album, and it's a quote that caught my eye, and I, I feel like I see these sort of things come up in uh, press releases a lot, and they kind of get glossed over, but I'm going to ask you about this because you're here. Um, there's a quote that says, musically, we wanted to be focused and unapologetic. What previous work have you apologized for? That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Well, we weren't going to apologize to people that wanted us to make Learning to Breathe too. And we weren't going to apologize to people that were saying, hey, you know, put something out now. We want to hear music. And I think um, when we wanted to be decisive, what were the words? Unapol- something in all unapologetic? Uh, musically, we wanted to be focused and unapologetic. So we wanted to be extremely focused. I think the last album definitely had some riff salad parts to it. We love it, but it definitely had parts that were not as directed as we would have liked. So I think we wanted to be way more directed with our songwriting and way more and think less about other people when writing our music. So up until like realistically this past couple weeks when I know the album's coming out, we did not really consider how other people were going to think about this music at all. Um, It's only now that it's actually being released that we're like, what did we make? Like, what are people going to think of this? You know what I mean? And I think that that shines through in the music but we really we're doing it for ourselves and and the people that like it and are open-minded enough to listen to it um we're blessed to have them along for the ride now with the release date looming uh how are you feeling about releasing this are you nervous are you ready um i'm i'm ready and nervous um we just put so much work into it um the we have a video that will be coming out next week um that i uh, I directed I directed the last Spectre's music video. So there's just been, you know, when David left the band, someone had to really be that person um, and be band dad and band manager. And that's really become me over the years since he left. Um, and so I, this this release in general is very close to my heart because, you know, um, I've had help from Patty in the band. But in terms of the business side of it, it's been a lot of uh, a lot of work on my end. So I'm really proud of just everything that's been put forward. Um, but then again, you know, then people get to see it. And so that part's nerve wracking, but I'm also so proud of it. Uh, we just look dumb. So I got to like, get over that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you actually, uh, bridged my next question. Uh, oddly, how was it playing Cowboys in the Spectres video? It was so fun. So I went and I got, I bought all the outfits for all that. So I found all the outfits for everyone. Um, I found the location I decided because it's Mount Diablo State Park, which is just down the street from where we all went to high school. So we pretty much got everyone there for a full day and decided where we were going to go along the different trails to get to get all the shots. Because we've honestly been smoking pot up there since we were since we were like 14 years old. So, you know, being able to go up there and and kind of imagine it in a different way was a lot of fun. Um, 
but yeah, it was just a lot of work. So I had a, a big old document that showed like seconds, like timestamps of when to when and what the shot was. So we went through those timestamps all day and just kind of went shot for shot, every shot I had written up and then some. And uh, then we had my buddy bring a drone. So it was a lot of fun to just, honestly, it was very DIY. The whole album release, even though we have the label, is very DIY. Um, and it's really cool. We it's, It takes a village. So we had a lot of people um, in our circles helping, you know, make these videos happen. It's funny that you mentioned the drone shot, because that is something I clocked at the beginning of the video. There's this flying establishing shot. And I wasn't sure if that was like stock footage or that's something you guys got yourself, because the rest of the video is clearly DIY in a way that's um, that's really like fun and charming. Um, have you had, had any prior uh, video production experience? I did video production in in uh, high school and middle school, but the video production part of this was all from Michael Alvarez. So Michael Alvarez shot oh, shot and edited all of the videos, um, but all the shots were designed by me. So I truly directed the video, and it was produced by Michael. Um, so no i had no experience directing or doing anything like this so getting all the costumes and doing all this i also like you said kind of lo-fi that was kind of the purpose because if we're if if we're only going to half-ass going high budget it's not going to look good and if we if we really dedicate ourselves to being efficient and funny with it and having like a a cohesive vision it will kind of break through whether or not you know we spent a ton of money on the filming of the video so i think the personalities of us and the music was the most important part i know it's like a completely different thing but it reminds me of the uh cannibal the musical the early uh south park guys thing um which it, it the characters come through but it's clearly like a lo-fi thing and i think it's just like a lot of fun uh sort of in that same way and i think fans are going to be really excited about the the next thing that's coming out uh, yeah yeah and that one is a lot of fun. Uh, but one thing I want to touch on that uh, we've kind of talked about is the recent run of Dates with Flub. Uh, that was your, was that your first run of Dates since, well, you know, in the COVID world? Yeah, since 2018, since 2018. So our last run was a three-day one with Flub and Steak Sauce Mustache in 2018. So we did that one. And then that led, obviously, to us talking to Taylor Bates from Steak Sauce Mustache about the label. Um, and then... We just wanted to get back out on the road. George let us know a couple months ago that he was going to be leaving the band effective the 21st of August. So he is not officially out of the band yet, but he starts his master's degree on the 21st. And that's when we officially kick him out of the, all of the band chats. Um, so we wanted to make sure that he had some time to, you know, have a good run of shows and bring people that haven't seen him in a while on stage and just celebrate him and celebrate the band. You know, we've all been through a lot. So, you know, we're best friends. We wanted to get together and, and have an excuse to celebrate. So uh, having those shows was great. Doing it with Flub, who are literally our best friends in the scene. We've known them longer than anybody um, was great. So it was just getting started. Um and at the same time, getting us fresh, testing out our touring vehicle, seeing if that's going to work out okay, um, seeing how how our merch was selling. You know, there's like business reasons for it, but at the same time, three days is, is some time to sell some shirts and have good shows. And that hometown show in San Francisco was great. That was um, really awesome. Neck of the woods. We had never played that venue before, and uh, it was awesome. So we haven't played San Francisco in, in a long time as well. Yeah, I kept hearing how great the, the Sacramento show was. Um, but how, how long ago 
did all the George stuff come up? Like, was it during recording or was the album locked away and then school? All locked. It was after the album was done. It was totally after the album was done. So around maybe March of this year, he let us know that he had gotten into a master's program, but the master's program requires him to work weekends. So there's really no time. And he was like, look, I know you guys want to go out and do touring on this album. So um, I'm going to drop out, but I'd love to get a run of shows in. So it was great time to practice, um, you know, get everything ready. And then we have a show next weekend in Reno. Um, and that show, we're going to be trying out some new members. So we have a replacement for bass, but we're still trying to fill that that second guitar slot permanently. So, um, you know, we're doing doing some business stuff on the back end. Hopefully we can fill out this Cyborg Octopus uh, pretty soon. I imagine whoever you guys have lined up, which is, I believe is still TBA, uh, according to the last Instagram post on this, is someone who is willing to uh, play in a tiny cape while mostly nude and has the physique to do so. Yeah, well, it's not what you don't need to have the physique. I think you just got to believe in it. You just got to really believe in it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's really a thing because, you know, we're, it's not like we're making money doing this. We're not we're not losing money mostly, but but we're not making any money. Right. Everything that we would make goes directly back into the band and funding the band doing stuff. So, you know, it's it's tough to find someone that's down to look stupid with us is also really cool and vibes with us as a friend um, and then also is willing to get partially naked on stage. But. Um, we think we're finding good people and the bassist actually has filled in for George on bass previously. So he's pretty much family already. Anybody that fills in on in Cyborg is pretty much family. And how did you guys land on your show attire? Because the last time I saw you guys uh, with Flub and Steak Sauce, um, you guys were wearing, for the most part, tiny shorts and super capes. Uh, there was a, a costume vibe to the show, but I think that was just par for the course for you guys. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. We kind of balance it between... Um, no, we don't balance it at all. We just... <laughs> we Because I like wearing... I have kimonos, so I, I have kimonos, and the rest of the band really likes the, sh the, the leggings. So I think over time, it started, we all just dressed like our normal selves and then guys started taking their shirts off and then guys started taking their pants off and then guys decided it would be cool if we all did that together but then we had to decide we couldn't be naked we had to like do something and realistically leggings are the cheapest option so we thought leggings are fun um and so on tour we bought leggings and then we wore through those leggings on tour one time and we amazoned new leggings to an amazon pickup at like a 7-eleven along the route so um that was sort of like a thing that happened and i'll never forget it because we walked into this place pull out seven pairs of leggings or six pairs of leggings from this random like locker in a 7-eleven and we're all just putting on these leggings in a 7-eleven <laughs> and then walking out um and so that just sort of um, you know, through touring experience, it's just something we love to do. And we kind of feel like superheroes. So like when we play, I imagine it is the same as like, you're getting to watch us pretend to play to 10,000 people in our bedrooms. You know what I mean? That's kind of how it's end up happening. We're just kind of living out our fantasies on stage for everyone. And like I said, the last time I saw you guys, you, for the most part, you're all wearing these super capes, uh, which is an item you guys sell on your website. Um, what, in the headcanon of Cyborg Octopus, what powers do super capes provide the people wearing them? <laughs> um, um, super, super speed. I just, we really liked the idea of people circle pitting in superhero capes. 
that was the original the original wouldn't it be funny if a lot of cyborg ideas start wouldn't it be funny or wouldn't it be dumb if this and it was wouldn't it be funny if we had everyone running in circles with the superhero capes on and everybody was all about it so we decided to move forward um i think flight super speed are essential and then you know maybe like the power of influence, like party influence. I don't know if that's a superhero, but uh, superhero power, but I would like it. Okay, Blue Sky idea, and this one is going to require a lot of insurance. Uh, you guys are playing a bit, you guys are playing a big arena, and you have uh, a Rammstein sort of budget for this show. Dick. So you're playing the arena, and you have the rafters of the arena to your disposal. And up there, you set up a bunch of zip lines. And uh, there's like a super VIP package to see the band where you get to go up on the zip lines. But the catch is you have to wear the cape. And the zip lines all like run into each other. So it's like an airborne mosh pit. But again, you have to wear the uh, the capes. And you guys can have this idea um, for when the arena shows happen. I just want to shout out from the stage, please. I think we can repurpose that. I'm not sure that exact idea is going to pan out, but... Zip lines meets cyborg octopus. There's a lot of potential there. I like that. Well, I've I've played Cafe Colonial and I cannot imagine a zip line there. <laughs> <laughs> Just any place with a high ceiling. Like we have, you know, we have this eight foot tall picture of our like little mascot. Her name is Lizzie the Octo Queen. Um, and so Lizzie, we have her, she's an eight foot tall poster. And sometimes she just doesn't fit. So we only like half bring her up and she's like a little short queen. Um, so that's the blessing of getting to play in dive bars. And the in the liner notes, in the liner notes of the new album, the last thank you is to any dive bar we have ever played. So we really tried to just get uh, an umbrella to all of the wonderful places we've played over the years. Now, it's like you can see my questions because my next question was about uh, Octo Queen. Uh, she does not have a name on your, your merch store, but um, who... Who is the uh, big anime fan in your outfit? Um, well, me. It used to be David. Um, and then our merch guy, Gabe, is super into anime. Um, and then, I mean, the whole band likes hentai, you know, but that's a different thing. You know, you don't follow the hentai for the plot. So that's a different a different piece. But it just, it just felt right. We had fun. Um, and then, you know, we reached out to an artist to, to make her. Um, and it was just something fun to do. You know, we didn't have music there for a while. And so sometimes we kind of do other things like side projects to motivate ourselves on the band. And so creating Lizzie and creating like that live poster for us was part of that. Um, and, you know, it's just part of the cult legacy of uh, Cyborg Octopus. And what is Lizzie's story? Because if there is headcanon for your albums, I imagine that your your mascot has a bit of a backstory. She is um, She is a queen that we met um near the coast near the northern coast um and i i tried to wed her and i tried to make her mine but she fled to the sea um so she's the proverbial the proverbial girl we met on tour that never that never manifested that's kind of beautiful but also very sad yeah well that's that's the beauty of cyborg octopus we can make it whatever we want all right man that'll do it thank you for being on the podcast and we go ahead and kill the recording and awesome. uh, daniel you were the man thank you no thank you Once again, Between the Light and Air will be out on August 26th via Silent Pendulum Records. You can grab your copy over at silentpendulumrecords.bandcamp.com, then keep up with Cyborg Octopus at cyborgoctopusband.com. Now to wrap this episode, I'm going to recommend the alternative metal band from Italy, Break Me Down.
The band formed in 2017 and they quickly released their first EP the following year. Since then, they've released a handful of singles and covers on their Bandcamp. One of those singles is a track I'm about to recommend to you. It is a song called Lose Your Mind and is inspired by villains and fairy tales, but from their voice. Here is Lose Your Mind in its entirety.
You can grab Lose Your Mind and everything else by Break Me Down, including a recently released remix of Lose Your Mind over at breakmedown.bandcamp.com. And you can also follow the band at instagram.com slash breakmedownit for Italy. That will do it for this episode. I would like to invite you to head over to farmingmetalpodcast.com. There you can find a store link. You can find past episodes, friend of the show, all that good stuff. And of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Meter Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.